Hi, and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I am Eva, a civil engineering professor and blogger on the side. And I'm Rico, a PhD student in civil engineering. Join us on this podcast in which we discuss all topics related to PhD life, research mechanics, and lived experiences. There will be interviews and discussions with guest researchers and PhD students. We hope you stick around with us on the PhD Talk podcast. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Talk podcast. Um, this week, Rico and I are going to interview Ivan Carrera. Ivan is a professor at the Polytechnic University here in Quito, and he has been at many different countries around the world for the uh, last few years that I've been in touch with him through Twitter, at his uh, handle, El Profe Ivan, and on Instagram. And he also recently started his blog, uh, Papa Scientifico. We will make sure to list to Ivan's Twitter and Instagram and blog in the podcast description. So with that said, uh, welcome to the PhD Talk podcast, Ivan. Can you briefly introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you, Eva, Rico. I am Ivan Carrera. I'm a professor at Politecnica Nacional in Quito, Ecuador. I made my master's in Brazil. I'm doing my uh, PhD in the University of Portugal. And my uh, my program allows me to be at different places. Uh, so I've been taking advantage of that. So my first year was in Ecuador. My second year was in uh, Portugal. And now I'm in Colombia. So I'm a professor of distributed systems in the Faculty of Systems Engineering of, in, in the Department of Computer Science and um, doing my research on bioinformatics. I'm also a, a recent father. My daughter is going to be one year old uh, at the end of this month. And uh, I decided to start a blog about my journey as a scientific and uh, as a parent. You can read a, a brief explanations about my journey as a parent and as a PhD student. Well, Ivan, I'm sure that's something uh, a lot of PhD students would be interested in. Uh, I know a lot of PhD students that are uh, parents or thinking about becoming parents, you know, myself included. So I'm sure you could share a lot of uh, your challenges and uh, your experience being a parent and a researcher at the same time. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit more a little bit later, but I wanted to hear a bit more about your research. You said it's in bioinformatics. Could you explain for myself and our listeners a bit more about what that is? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, okay. Um, my research is in bioinformatics, but bioinformatics is a really large field. It's about solving problems about biology with mathematics using computers. It's a really brief explanation about uh, bioinformatics, but my research is centered around what is called uh, drug repositioning or drug repurposing. The field of, of drug repositioning is the chance that you have for a drug to have another purpose. One of the, the most known applications of drug repositioning is Viagra. It was a medicine for um, a lung angina. It is a medical condition uh, that you, you lack your breath. And then uh, some researchers made this uh, pill to enlarge your uh, capillary veins for your uh, lungs. Uh, however, it had a side effect that it prevented erectile dysfunction. 
So the legend says that in the clinical trial, uh, the patients were given the Viagra because it was uh, something for, for their lungs. They measured uh, what they had to do. And they, so this, uh, this isn't uh, a really good pill for this purpose. So you can return your pills and no one returned the pills because of this uh, side effect. And then they started commercializing. It was really like a hit of luck for this uh, repositioning of the drug. But with computers, you can assess and you can predict uh, how a drug is going to have many purposes and many targets. So my research is centered about around this. We are working with uh, some cancer chemotherapy. Maybe you can you design your drug for one type of cancer, and then another type of cancer can be treated with the same chemotherapy, and so on. So my research is uh, about discovering uh, new types of applications for drugs using uh, machine learning. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for giving that example. You explained it in a very tactful way. Appreciate that. We're trying to keep the podcast <laughs> as PG as possible. So thank you for that. <laughs> okay. Maybe you can shed some light on this because it's been in the news, but I, I was just reading sort of the headlines and they were talking about protein folding and how there's been advances now in artificial intelligence. This was in the news recently. Is this related at all to, to your research? Or? Mm, not really. Uh, protein folding is another field of research because proteins are such complex molecules and such large. That's why they call uh, macromolecules to make uh, a distinction with small molecules. Drugs are small molecules. So when a molecule is so large, it has some foldings. And these foldings affect the way they, they behave and they work. And also they affect the way a drug targets protein, for example. That's all I know about protein folding. Sure. I just thought I'd mention it just because uh, it was a big article that I was seeing everywhere. Uh, okay. But... For example, for drug repurposing, there has been some research for, uh, for example, for COVID uh, with some malaria drugs. You have a mathematical model on how the drug attaches to a protein, for example. And if there's another drug that has some similar chemical structure and there's another protein that has also another uh, a similar molecular structure, you can make a case or you can assess uh, how this uh, drug binds to this uh, protein. That's very interesting. So you said you completed your master's uh, in Brazil. Were you immediately certain that you were planning to continue and uh, do a PhD? Or was industry an option for you? And what was your reason for deciding to pursue a doctorate? Really nice question. And it had been a journey of 10 years. Because 10 years ago, in the 2010, I was making my, my degree in engineering. And uh, I always loved to teach. I started teaching when I was 17 years old, before I graduated from high school. And I really loved that. And I continued doing that all uh, my years in college. But I know that in the university where I, uh, I graduated, it wasn't easy to enter as a professor. And uh, in 2010, there was this law 
that required that 80% of the professors had to have their PhD. So a lot of professors uh, retired because they were not interested in pursuing a PhD for four, five years, and then only work for another five years. It wasn't worth it. So a lot of professors retired. And uh, I saw an opportunity there. Uh, so I went to do my, my master's in Brazil. And then I came back to Ecuador go, going for work as a professor. And I worked uh, in two universities and then I, I entered uh, in Politecnica. And then when I got my, my place at Politecnica, then I started looking for my PhD. The thing was that when I did my master's, my master's was in another topic. I am a networking engineer. And um, when I was working in my master's, I was doing uh, some research about the mathematical modeling of performance and performance evaluation, uh, computer performance evaluation. So I wanted to know uh, how long will it, will uh, some programs will, uh, will run and uh, how to make it uh, faster, how to make it with better performance. There was this uh, research team uh, reached to us and then they said, maybe we can work with bioinformatics. And I was introduced there to bioinformatics. For my PhD, I had to study the equivalent of a master's in order to be able to understand what the concepts of uh, chemistry and biology that are required, even if you are a computer scientist, to be able to model these uh, complex problems. So my option was to pursue a job in always in academia because uh, I always wanted to be a professor, a teacher. And um, maybe afterwards, maybe after I graduate, maybe I can consider a work uh, outside the, the academy, maybe in industry, but I'm not sure. So your passion's really on the, on the research and the teaching side of it specifically? Yes, 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 yes. Wow, well, that's a very noble cause. So essentially, you were, you were a network engineer. And you had to you had to study the equivalent of a master's of chemistry in order to pursue the topic that you were introduced to and that you were passionate about. Yes, and that's why I, I finished my master's in 2014, and I, I started four years after that in 2018 my uh, PhD because I had to learn what it was needed. Well, that was very brave of you, and uh, takes a lot of courage to go and and completely jump in a different field, you know. And besides the journey of the different fields that you've had, you also have had this uh, journey of going to different countries and going to different institutions throughout the last 10 years. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, how you found these positions and how everything linked together? It is a combination of persistence and luck. I really wanted to do a master's and I, I had to maybe write like a uh, hundred emails to different institutions so that I can be accepted to do a, a master's and apply and etc. in Brazil. And then for the PhD, I was able to work with a group. It is called the, the group of biochem informatics in uh, Universidad de las Americas in Quito. And then I had this subject that I'm really passionate about it. And then I had to look for a university that can allow me to work on my research. Because when you apply to a PhD, most of the time you ask to a professor uh, about the research. And uh, 
I wasn't doing that. I already had a research subject and then I had to ask for a professor, maybe you can help me out with the computer side of this because the biology and the chemistry, I have it covered from the, my research group in Quito. It is not easy for a professor to understand that and to accept you. So I, I had a, a lot of uh, negative answers. Uh, however, uh, my uh, supervisor in Porto, uh, Professor Inés Dutra, she, maybe she uh, related to me uh, in this way because maybe she had uh, like a similar uh, history. She accepted that challenge to be able to uh, supervise uh, uh, research that isn't hers. And that also allowed me to be able to work from different places. Because my PhD program, I think it's called Academic PhD and Research PhD, uh, because my program is a research because you don't have to make any, any courses, you don't have to take any uh, obligatory, mandatory courses. So they say, okay, you, you start now, and then three years after you complete your thesis and then you make your defense. I had to work in Ecuador, with my biology and chemistry uh, advisor in person and uh, in remote with my supervisor on machine learning and artificial intelligence. And the second year, I moved to Portugal. One of the reasons it was because I wanted the experience of traveling and uh, living in, in another country because last time I did it, it was in Brazil, and then I really uh, grew as a researcher and as a, as a person. Uh, and then I wanted to have another life-changing experience. And then I moved to, to Portugal. Then the pandemic changed everything because I was in Portugal. I enrolled in some courses. I used to have a lab and colleagues and uh, my advisor as well with um, in-person meetings and then because of the pandemic i had to work from home and it was really it was like the same as being in ecuador because i was at home with my computer having um, video conference calls and uh, i no longer had any colleagues because i work uh, from home and then i say okay if i'm doing this in portugal i can do it everywhere I can move to another place and do the same thing. And so with my wife, we said that maybe we can move to, to Colombia. She's from Colombia. And do the same thing. Work remotely with my two advisors and work on my, on my research and my thesis. I think the, the thing with moving with several places is that you have to be a focused person and make sure that when you arrive to a place, you will have some time to adapt. But after that, you have to start working and prepare and plan. So that's what I've been doing all this time. So overall, having worked now in Brazil, in Quito, in uh, Porto, um, and now you're sort of a, a digital vagabond, you're able to <laughs> do your research uh, anywhere on the, in the world. What would be your advice for somebody who's potentially thinking about traveling for a PhD or on the other side of it, is able to, nowadays with virtual conferencing, able to do a PhD from anywhere. Do you have any advice for those people? Well, I can give many advices. The first that came to mind is go for it. If you have the chance, go for it, because 
the experience that you will go through and all the things that you will learn. You cannot learn from anything. You cannot learn from a book about traveling, about uh, living in another country. You have to experience. However, being married, for example, you have to always talk with your spouse because it isn't easy. When you are single, you can really live anywhere if you don't really care about luxury and, and stuff. Uh, and when you are a grad student, you don't have really luxuries, you know. But when you are married, when you are with your partner, it changes because like the place that you live, it will have to be a little nicer, a little better, and even more with a young child. You have to talk really sincerely with your partner to be comprehensive. Maybe you have to really love your partner to be able to go through all that has to be done uh, when living abroad. Yeah, I'll let Eva continue, but I just have one more question related to, to uh, the places you've lived. So now you've lived in, in the mountains and you've lived by the sea. Uh, which one do you prefer? I guess Quito and, um, and Medellin are at high altitude and then Porto is right by the ocean. So which one do you prefer? Well, uh, given that I was raised in the mountains, I really had like a, a desire to live by the sea. And Porto has really nice beach, uh, really close to the city. I'm not sure what, to, what do I prefer. <laughs> I guess variety is, is the way to go. You have to have sure. a bit of both. Yes. <laughs> However, I'm not used to the seasons. So for me, winter is too cold and summer is too hot. I'm used to one one season all year. So I guess Montreal is out of the question because as I look out the window, it's snowing right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've also mentioned that December last year, your daughter was born. So how, how has it been to be both a PhD student and a parent at the same time? And how has that changed the way you do research and vice versa? How has being a scientist changed how you approach parenting? Well, it really influences one to the other. My daughter was born in December last year. I'm not sure people know how much a child changes your life <laughs> uh, because for example your sleeping habit for a phd student maybe you can sleep until late uh, and also go to bed late uh, but with a child you have to understand that you have to be there for them every time with a with a baby you don't get the chance to say give me half an hour to finish this paragraph or finish this experiment and then I'll take you to the park because babies don't, don't understand that, okay? So if the baby cries, you have to be there. So that changes the way you work. So in my case, I got used to the lack of sleeping. So when my, my baby, for example, now she goes to bed at eight or nine, so I can work from 9 p.m., maybe up to midnight or 1 a.m., and she wakes up at 7. So I can sleep maybe 7, 6 hours. She wakes up, and then she has a nap, a really long nap, and now I can work in that time. So my schedule of working depends on the 
uh, sleeping habits of my baby. You get used to it. I was talking with my advisor and she marked out that in this year, I have been more productive even with uh, my daughter than the previous years. I have published uh, more and write more uh, and make more uh, development in my software than the previous year. And I thought it was going to be the other way around. You really should thank your daughter. In addition to being your daughter, she's making you more productive too. That's incredible. Yes, yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm more motivated or more pressure to finish in the time that I should be finishing. It has affected me in that way. Uh, but at the beginning, it really is chaos. And I, I asked my advisors and I said something like that. Maybe you can give me one month so I can be a father full time for one month. And then I get back to work and they agree. And they said, okay, but from the second month, you get back to work. And um, in the other part of the question, uh, how being a PhD has affected my parenting, it has affected profoundly. It was a discussion with my wife because when my daughter was going to be born, we had some uh, advice from the grandparents about how to put the baby to sleep and how to take care of her. And the advice was contradictory. So my, my wife, she's a psychologist and uh, she's also a researcher. And then we said, okay, how are we going to raise our daughter? How are we going to take care of her? And so we came with this idea. Okay, we listened to the grandparents and, and the aunts and the uncles and everyone that has a saying about uh, how to raise your daughter. Okay, we listened to them. And then we do research because we are researchers. So go in the internet, uh, get some really scientific research. Because in the internet, you have a lot of things that aren't true. To say it really nicely, okay? So let's make an experiment about every aspect of my daughter's life. So before you, you perform an experiment, you do some uh, literature research. Okay, so what does the research said about, I don't know, maybe it is called the introductory feeding. How to feed your daughter? What food should we give her? Okay, let's go and make some research. And it was amazing how we learned. Because maybe, for example, if my parents said something, maybe I was biased to listen to them. And my wife was the same way with her parents. But then we say, okay, let's go neutral and go science. It really affects how we can be parents for the sleeping habits, how to put her to sleep, how to feed her, how to dress, how to approach vaccines. Because parenting challenges you. Because uh, you can go for the tradition. And you say, ah, I was raised like this and my parents were raised like this and so on, so on. You know, you can make a case that it is an comfortable and an easy way to do. Because if you always make the same thing, maybe you can always have the same results. And if you are okay, maybe your child will be okay as well. But uh, you can also make the case that Ah, I was raised like this, so I have to do the opposite. And maybe it's not how you should be approaching 
a really important thing that it is parenting. So we decided to go science. And then uh, I came up with the idea of having a blog because I wanted to document all this experience. And uh, for example, I started with when we were trying to have our diet, we made an appointment with the doctor and the doctor said that I should be taking folic acid. I, I thought only the mother should take folic acid. And then the doctor said, no, 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 the father should be taking these vitamins and this uh, folic acid as well. And I didn't ask the doctor why. I went and did the research. And then I said, I should uh, share this with all my, my friends that want to be parents. So I wrote this uh, article and then I said, now let's do a, a blog. And it has been a, a quite an experience to write about that because I have seen that when you talk about science, you have some response uh, about what you are writing from other parents. But then I started to really put myself into the blog to share my feeling. But because the blog is Papa Scientificos, so I have to always give some science information and trying to, to share my feelings about the, being a parent and also some uh, useful information. For example, now we are teaching my daughter to talk and I had to learn about uh, linguistics and, and phonetics. Uh, and it really enhances you as a father. And what I'm looking for is to share this experience with other parents, to empower yourself as a parent, as a father, uh, with some science and with scientific facts so you can be a better parent. It really has been a really nice journey. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I think as a last question, to wrap up this episode would be what's next? What do you think your future looks like? And what are your goals and aspirations for 2021? Uh, the plan is to finish my PhD. I started my third year in September. So I hope to defend. Uh, if I have all my results and all my publications, I should be finishing my PhD by August or September and then get back to work. I have to confess that I miss teaching. Because research can be quite lonely. For me, it was relaxing to talk to young kids in, the, in college and, and teaching. So I hope uh, I can get back to work and teach some courses in 2021. Another thing is that if everything goes well with the blog, I'm thinking about uh, publishing as a book. That would be great. I, I would love to, to read that. A book with a scientific view on parenting. I think that would be helpful. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm already starting to have the talk with my fiance about kids. So I think uh, if you could get that book out pretty quickly, I'm sure I'd be, uh, I'd be one of your first readers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rico. Thank you all listeners for listening to this week's episode. Thank you, Ivan, for joining us on this episode of the PhD Talk podcast. In this episode, we interviewed Ivan Carrera about his experiences as a researcher living in different countries, working from different places, changing research topic and becoming a parent along the way. Join us next week for more on PhD Life and Mechanics.